that you, God, would put it back together. And God, for the children and the teenagers that are here, I pray that you would give them godly spouses. That they would have godly, strong marriages when they grow up. Man. And I think they would have a, a profound impact on our society. So God, teach us about this today. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, I think you guys know my favorite thing to do as a pastor is to preach. I love to, to study. I love to preach. I love to, to share God's word with each people, to preach the gospel. But, but, but running a close second behind preaching is for me to perform a wedding. I love doing weddings. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are great about a wedding. I love the rehearsal. I have a good time at rehearsal trying to get everybody organized and ready for the wedding. I, I love uh, the uh, rehearsal dinner when they feed the preacher and you get to eat all kinds of good things. That's, that's a great thing. I, I love coming into the wedding and you get to dress up and you get a flower on your, on your jacket and you get all these people showing up and the bride looks beautiful and the, and the groom looks great and, and you get them up here in the church together. I love it. There's a crowd that's gathered and you, and you get them up here. I've performed so many weddings just, just up here on this stage and you move this out of the way and you got the, the bride on one side and the groom on the other. And when I get them up here you got the crowd watching and everybody paying attention and you, and you have these two people up there that's getting ready to give their lives to one another. I love it. And I always say, I'm going to give you the first thing I say, and I'm going to give you the last thing I say and, and while, while I'm performing a wedding. The first thing that I say when I'm performing a wedding is marriage is an honorable estate that has been uh, made by God himself. Man. Now, this is not something that the church makes. This is not something that society or the culture makes. Marriage is God's idea. And, and it's God's plan, and God does it better than anybody else. So I make that very clear. This is something that, that God has planned, that God has instituted himself. And then the second thing, or the last thing that I say, as we're getting ready to have, I guess everybody's favorite, that you may kiss the bride. Right before we say kiss the bride, here's what we say. We have the vows. And I look at each one, the husband and the, and the wife, and I say, repeat after me. And I always break it up for them because they, it's hard to say a full sentence when you're that nervous. And it really is. And to thee I pledge my constant faithfulness. Let nothing but death part you and me. It's one of my favorite parts of the sermon. As they look at each other and they're not saying something that is a ritual. They're not saying something just to get to the, the kiss. They're making a vow to each other. They're making a pledge to each other. They're making a promise to each other that nothing in this world will separate us from death. And that's what that is. That's a promise in front of witnesses, in front of me, in front of each other, and, and most importantly, before God himself, they're making a promise to each other. Nothing but death will break us up. We pledge our constant, forever binding faithfulness to each other. And I think when they make it, and I've performed several weddings, and a lot of you guys are married. I think when you stand up here and do that, that you don't think, well, you know, not really forever, forever you know. Not, not really till death do us part. I think we actually mean it when we say it. Amen. I think everybody that I've ever married actually meant it when they said it. I think they actually, the, 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 the groom looking at the bride, was said, till death do us part. I think he means it. And, and the bride looking at the groom, till death do we part. I think they mean it. Nobody plans to get divorced. But 50% of marriages end in divorce. That means 50% of all marriages break that promise that they make to each other and, and before God. America leads the world in divorce rates. Let me tell you, let me just give you some statistics here. There's almost 1 million divorces a year in America. 16,800 a week. 2,400 a day. There will be 277 divorces by the time this sermon's over. I'm going to preach an hour, so 277 an hour. Very few couples keep that promise. Very few couples keep that vow to each other. We have the highest divorce rate in the world. It's rampant. It's destructive. And I would say in this room today, it's touched every single one of us in some way. That you know somebody who has, that you have yourself. 
that it's touched even the children in your marriage. They say that a divorce doesn't just affect the two people that get divorced. You have two, and then they have two children. That's four. And it just keeps on multiplying, and it touches everybody that's around. So if we're having half of our marriages in a divorce, almost everybody in America has been touched by divorce in some way and somehow. Today, the sacred bond of marriage is under attack, even in churches. Divorce on demand for anything and for everything. That's the culture that we're living in. And if you want to believe it or not, that's the exact culture that Jesus was living in in Matthew chapter 19. When they would have divorces for anything and everything. All you had to do was write a, a bill of divorcement for anything that you wanted. They said that some men would divorce their wife just because they saw somebody better looking that day. <laughs> I got a bill of divorcement. Here we go. You're out. She's in. You burn my toast. Guess what? Divorce. I mean, it's just anything and everything. And that's the culture that Jesus is, is talking to here, where people just passing on divorce. You can get, even today, you can get a divorce easier than you can get married today. Just passing them out. So what is Jesus going to say here? As we look at this passage in, in verse 1, he's, let's just look at it. He's leaving Galilee, which, which is really a, a pivotal point for him. He's been a long time in his ministry in Galilee, and now he's going to move and go in a different direction in his ministry. And he, as he walks, he says, hey, let's look at it. And passed, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed Galilee. And he came to the coast of Judea, beyond Jordan. And there's a great crowd that's following him. He's teaching them, and he's healing them. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees show up in verse 3, and they ask him this question that they're interested in. And I'm going to talk about it in just a second, but it's the type of question that you really don't talk about in public. So they come up to him, and they're going to try to catch him in something. And they ask this high interest question. Can we divorce for anything that we want to divorce for? Can we just throw it out anywhere we want? What's Jesus going to give an answer? The whole passage is Jesus giving them an answer on this. A very divisive issue. A very touchy issue. The Pharisees came unto him tempting and said, is it lawful for a man to put his wife for anything and everything? Can we divorce anytime we want to divorce? And Jesus is going to teach them here what he's going to teach us here. That marriage is to, to be, is planned to be, designed to be, until death do we fall. So let's look at it today. I want to, we don't talk about it like we should in church, so I, I think this will be good for us to, to read this, to understand this, and to know that marriage is until death do we fall. So let me give you three days as we work our way through 12 verses. Starting with number one, I'm going to show you the design of marriage. Uh, it's designed by God, and it's designed to be until death do we part. So here's the design, the original design of marriage. The Pharisees approach him in verse 3. Let, let's, let's start there. This is their attack on him. This is, not a, this is not a real question. They don't want a real answer. These Pharisees that follow Jesus around everywhere he went, and they're not trying to learn from him. They're trying to catch him in something. They're, they're after him. He, he probably, everywhere he turned, he thought, oh. More Pharisees. I can't get rid of these guys. I mean, they're like a, a pebble in his shoe, a, a thorn in his side. They were everywhere he went trying to catch him. They walk up to him and says, and they tempted him. So they, they were trying to trip him up. This is a trick question. It's like they handed him a grenade and said, here you go, Jesus. And they're hoping it just, his answer just blows up in his face. This is so touchy. This is so, so sensitive that people in that time just you, you whispered about divorce. You didn't, you didn't talk about it out loud. So they hand you this question in front of multitudes of people and say, what do you think about divorce, Jesus? And everybody's eyes go to him. What's he going to say? What's Jesus going to say about divorce? Oh, no, here we go. Trying their best to get him in trouble. And the crowd at that time would have been divided. It, it's almost like, think about it this way. This is the kind of hand grenade they hand you. Think that you're in a huge crowd of people. And somebody looks at you and says, who'd you vote for? And you're sitting there thinking, oh no, half of these are going to say one thing, and half of these are going to say the other. And I have to be real careful what I say, because half's going to get mad at me, and half's going to be happy with me. So I need to be very careful. That's how divisive divorce was at that time. Half the crowd said you could get divorced all that you wanted. Half the crowd said nobody could get divorced for anything at all. That was the two sides. So they hand Jesus the grenade and say, let it blow up on him. So how is Jesus going to handle this? They know that if Jesus was easy on it, he'd get himself in trouble. If he was hard on it, he'd get himself in trouble. They're out to get Jesus. Same way they did with John the Baptist. You know what got John the Baptist killed? His stance on divorce. Yeah. 
So they're believing this, hoping that he gets destroyed by this. That half the crowd, whatever his answer is, half the crowd will want to kill him. So what would Jesus say? How would he handle it? Let's see what he says. I love the way he answers. He says in verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? That's the best way to start any answer that you would give. He goes straight to what the Bible says. He lets God speak. Now, that's the way to approach this. God, he, he, this is a, the, always a good idea. He didn't quote rabbis. He didn't look to surveys or polls or traditions or culture or society. If you're going to get yourself in trouble, let it be by God's word speaking. So he says, here's what God says. Have you not read? I got a good quote for you. Bob Jones said this. He said, it's, it, if, if you don't like what I say, don't call me, call God. You've got a problem with God, not me, if I'm quoting the Bible. Amen. So Jesus says, have you not read? And he lets God speak. And he goes to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Have you not read? And he which made them at the beginning. So he goes to Genesis 1. You tell me what you believe about Genesis 1 through 3, and I'll tell you what you believe about everything else in the Bible. Yeah. So he takes him to Genesis 1, and he gives them God's plan for marriage. From the very beginning, the foundation of it all. And he says, here's the original design. And, 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 and let me just go through. Here's God's original design for marriage. At the beginning, first design, God made male and female. That's easy. I mean, that's simple. God made Adam, and he made Eve. You say, what does that mean? That means that in their, originally, in the garden, there were no other options. Adam had Eve, and Eve had Adam. Adam would look around and say, you know what, I really don't like Eve. She didn't make that fruit popular like I wanted her to. So I, I need to move on to somebody else. There was nobody else for him to think. He was wondering how to look anywhere else. All he had was Eve. And she looked at Adam. She said, you show him, man. Look at that guy. God, you could give me somebody else, anybody else. The only option that they had was each other. If they got divorced, they had nowhere else to go. So this is in the beginning. It was just one and one. It was just these two. There was no spares. There were no options. No alternatives. There was no chance for divorce. The original design. No chance for divorce. The original design. No chance for polygamy. He couldn't marry more than one woman. Original design. No chance for adultery. Original design. No chance for gay marriage. Homosexuality doesn't even come along until Sodom and Gomorrah. The most simple time period in maybe the history of all time. So there's no, no option for that there. In the beginning, he made them male and he made them female. Adam and Eve, that's God's original design. Man and woman, no other options. Man. That's God's design. And then he said, and then God joined them together. I like this. Watch what he said. He made them male and female. And he said, so for this cause, shall a man leave father and mother. Now, he didn't have a father and mother. Who they leave? This is a foundational truth. That you leave, and then you cleave. You guys can write that down. You leave, you break from your parents. That's what it is when you leave. You get this, it's, a, it's a break. And then you cleave. I love this word. So I leave my mom and dad. And I'm one by myself. And she leaves mom and dad. And she's one by herself. And you leave your parents. And you do what? Cleave to one another. Let me explain this word to you. Cleave is glue. I looked it up. I spent, I spent about an hour studying the word cleave this week. It's unbreakable. It's a bond. You might as well say, we're stuck with each other. You're stuck together. The actual word means to be face to face to each other. And not just face to face to each other, but face to face pursuing each other. Like you're head to head, face to face, and you're constantly running into each other. That's what marriage is. And you're, you're cleaving to each other. The, the Hebrew word, it, it, it means so that, that, that there's, there's, you're, you're so close together that, that nothing could break you apart. That, that you, you, you've been so glued. And get this, it, it's not gorilla glue. It's God glue. That wasn't even my notes. That's pretty good. 
that God glues you together. That you become how close? Get this, how close do you become? Look at it. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall flee to his wife, and those two become one. But I was one when I left my mother and father. She was one when she left her mother and father. And now we cleave to each other. And that one plus one now equals one. That's God's math. And when you get married, one plus one equals one. Now in God's eyes, you are emotionally one. Two hearts now become one beating heart together. That, that when you get married, your heart says, boom, 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 boom. And her heart says, boom, 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 boom. And what she, she loves, what you love, your hearts become knitted together, sewn together, glued together. The two minds now become one mind that you think in the same way and you love the same God and you worship the same God. The two become one. That you are physically one, emotionally one, spiritually one. Two have become one. We, we do that in, in, in ways. You've seen, I've seen ropes get tied, tying the knot. I've seen sand get put together. Anybody seen sand put together? That you have her sand and his sand and they have this glass and they, and they take each other's the sand and put it together symbolizing how they, they come together and they can never be separated ever again. And is there any way that you could separate that sand to where it's now his and hers again? No chance. I've seen flames. Y'all seen flames? His candle, her candle, put it together in one candle. Anyway, it's exactly what he's saying here. A unique and profound bond. And God planned for that to never be separated. Amen. That's what it says. The two become one. Verse 6, wherefore they are no more two, but one. And what God, get this, what a passage. I mean, what, what a verse. What therefore God has joined together. What, what God has glued together. What God has brought together. God ties the knot. God puts the sand together. God puts the flame together. God's the one who brings people together. God makes a marriage. God dwells them together. And God says, what God has joined together, let no man rip it apart. I would underline, put asunder. Let nobody, the word asunder is ripped. Have you ever accidentally glued something together and you want to get it separated again, separated again? It rips, doesn't it? Rip. That's what this said. To, 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 to tear asunder is what it is. It's, marriage is designed to, to not be ripped apart, to not be divided. That's what a divorce is. To divide what God's brought together, to rip it to shreds. John MacArthur said this, divorce is to marriage what abortion is to childbirth. Ripping it Designed to be lifelong. Divorce is not a part of God's plan. It was designed and it was to be permanent. So there we are at the end of verse 6, and the answer has been not on how many times can we get divorced, but on how marriage is to be designed or was Amen. designed. Amen. And there we are, Genesis 1 and 2. And marriage is perfect. It was paradise. Can you imagine when Adam and Eve come together? Genesis 2, they come together. I mean, I, I love that scene where, where, where God puts them together, takes the rib out of, out of Adam and, and creates Eve. And, and they're together and they're one and they're glued. And it's almost like now they're at a honeymoon stage. So that was the design. Everything was, was perfect. Now let's move to point number two. We saw the design. Let me show you the difficulty of marriage. I don't want anybody to say amen. Don't say it. But marriage can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> Good. Nobody said amen. You hustled for God's children so much trouble, you just said amen. Why is it difficult? It wasn't designed to be difficult. It was designed to be perfect. It was designed to be everything as it should be. The man fulfilling his role, the woman fulfilling her role, and everything just going together so perfectly. So, so what happened to make it so difficult? And that's what they asked him in verse 7. Watch. They come back with a question. They say to him, then why did Moses say we could get divorced? Well, not, 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 not why did Moses say we could, but why did Moses command, tell us that we had to get divorced and to put her away? 
Then I said, why didn't Moses say? It's like my kids. Staple tells them one thing, they'll go right across the house to the other side and say, what do you think, Dad? You think I can do this? Mom said I could. They're going back to Moses and saying, he commanded that we get a divorce for any and everything. We've got a verse on this. Is, is this a contradiction? And what they're looking for here is a loophole so they can do whatever they want to do. They, 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 they're, they're trying to find a way to sin. How can I still sin? How can I still divorce and have a, a verse to help me get out of it? They want a way to keep divorced. They want a biblical validation to do whatever they want to do. So Jesus says in verse 8, they're saying, you say, but Moses said we had to get divorced. What did you say, Jesus? It's like he didn't answer the question on divorce well enough. But here's his answer in verse 8. He said that in Moses, you see this? Because of sin. Moses, because of the hardness of hearts. It didn't take long for sin to enter the world, did it? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, everything was good. Genesis 3, everything turns bad. So now you no longer have two perfect people in the garden in a marriage. You have two imperfect people in a marriage. Now you no longer have two saints in a marriage. You have two sinners in a marriage. So these two, you guys know that. You put two sinners together, it could be up. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because God understands who we are. God knows that sin has now entered the world, and sin, what it does is it separates us. Sin will separate a, a marriage. Sin will separate a church. Sin separates, drives a wedge between us. Even God said in Genesis 3, he said, now because of sin, the woman won't want to submit to the man. She'll want control. She'll want to be the head of the home. She'll want to push him around. She'll want to tell him what to do. She'll want to be a feminist. And man, he's going to want to be a chauvinist and be mean to her and push her around. They're going to be at odds with each other. He said that. We didn't understand that. People who get married think, oh, it's just going to be so great. It is great. But you need to understand that there's two sinners going into this home. And there are going to be fights to go on. And sin separates. God knows it's going to get ugly. God knows there's going to be a battle of the sexes. God knows there's going to be divorce. So because of the hardness of hearts, because of sin, God suffers divorce. That word suffers means he allows it. He permits it. He lets it happen. I'll say it this way even better. God regulates it. He gives them rules for the inevitable. So that it won't become rampant. If God doesn't give us rules for divorce, it would be a divorce for any and everything. You understand that? If you go into a basketball game, and I've got, I've got to illustrate this for you. If you go into a basketball game and you have no rules, no lines, just anything goes, however it wants to go, it turns into one of the ugliest things you'll ever see. It's no longer a game. You have to have rules to regulate people from, from going out of bounds and from, from hurting each other. And how many points is this going to be worth? And how many points is that going to be worth? So you have to have rules to regulate because you know people are going to break the rules. So God knows that, that people are going to want to get divorced for, for anything. Burn the toast? Divorce. You're, not, you're, you're getting older and I want somebody younger? Divorce. It just, everybody's going to want a divorce. So God says, I must put some rules in place to keep it rare. And that's what Moses was talking about in, 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 when he says in verse 7. Deuteronomy 24, if you want to turn there with me. This is the verse they were talking about. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Now, I'll just read it. If you want a divorce, here's what you're going to have to do. When a man has taken a wife and married her, and come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because she hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement, let her, and give it in her hand, and send her out of the house. <coughs> when she departed out of his house, she may go and, and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and I don't know what kind of girl this is, but she's got two husbands now getting rid of her. Write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, 
Her former husband, which sent her away, may not make her again to be his wife. After this, after she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. Thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So Jesus is explaining to them, God put rules in place in Deuteronomy to protect women from just getting thrown out in the street anytime they wanted to, anytime men wanted to. And God made it hard for men. So that they just couldn't say, all right, you're gone, you're gone. God made them go through a whole legal system that you had to draw it up, you had to have witnesses, you had to, to finalize it. Why? So the divorce would be harder to do. Amen. He wanted greater, not common. And he only wanted it for one reason. He only gave one excuse. Here's the only way out. It was that way in the Old Testament, and he, and he gives it to us here in the New Testament. He says in verse 9, he says, here's the only reason for divorce. I mean, this is the Bible. You don't like it. Talk to God about it. Verse 9, I say unto you, and when he says I say unto you, he's saying, I, even I say, it's, a, it's authoritative. Watch this. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for. There's only one exception. And the word says we're accept. There's only one escape clause. Not for anything but for one thing. Not for everything but for only one thing. There's only one biblical reason for divorce. I don't know if this gets taught enough in churches. One biblical reason for divorce. One legitimate reason for divorce. And it says here, if it's not for this reason, look at this. That everybody that gets divorced and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her commits adultery too. So if you don't get divorced for this reason, for anything else but this reason, there's a, a trail of adultery that just keeps on flowing with it. Here's the only reason that you can get divorced. You say, what is it? I, I, I've got brackets around it. Except it be for fornication. You say, what does that word mean? It's the only biblical grounds for divorce. I think it's a catch-all word for every kind of deviant sexual sin. Amen. It's an intentional wide meaning so that you, you go to the you go to you go to the courthouse to get a divorce, and they say, what she do? And anything you, you name, any kind of sexual deviancy, they say, yes, that, yes, that, yes, that. There's only two things that separates a marriage in God's eyes. Death. And flagrant sexual sin. Amen. The only act that can separate what God joins and divides and puts a wedge in between it is sexual sin, adultery, fornication. It's the only legitimate reason. Any other reason? You see what it does? Causes adultery. You say, what if she does this? What if we fall out of love? What if I don't like her anymore? What if she can't cook? What if? What if? And, and the only answer is no. There's only one way out of a marriage, biblically, and that is for sexual sin. Amen. Uh, that just don't, doesn't get taught much. That's why I said this is a, a touchy subject for me to preach on today. But it isn't black and white there. I mean, I want to read it again. I say unto you, Jesus says, by the authority given to him as the Son of God. Except it be for fornication. The only way. That's not even allowed here. It's not commanded. It's not just it's not commanded. It's not recommended. It's allowed. Those words are, are important. And you should only do it, and I'm giving you some practical advice here, biblical advice. The only allowance is for sexual sin. And even then, you ought to do everything in your power to reconcile and forgive. Yeah. Amen. You ought to do everything. This is in the same context as the previous passage we talked on church discipline and on forgiveness. If there's adultery and fornication in a marriage in the church, that's grounds for church discipline. And you ought to do everything in your power to bring that one back and for there to be forgiveness in the marriage. And if that is rampant and just keeps on going and, and it's unrepentant and, and the, 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 the offending party refuses to stop, at that point God says we allow you, according to his word, allow you to, to write a bill of divorce. Amen. That's what this is teaching you. 
It's allowed. God allows it because he knows how sinful we are. God allows it to protect the, the offended party. I'll give you one more before we move on. Because you're sitting there saying, wow, there's a lot of divorces that happen. Not because of that reason. A lot. So Josh, you're saying that everybody who gets divorced not for that reason and goes and marries another they're committing adultery? And they cause the one that they're married to commit adultery to? And it just goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. You say that makes a lot of people in our society and even in our churches adulterers. And the answer is That, on, that is not the unforgivable sin. Amen, preacher. The Bible does not say that if you do that, it's, you can't be forgiven for it. I'm going to give you instances. Did, did David commit adultery? Yes, and God called him a man for his own heart. Did Solomon commit adultery? Many times over. And still God forgives. Amen. John chapter 4, the lady at the well. He looked at her and he said, you've had five husbands and you're living with one right now that isn't even your husband. And he offered her the water of life and forgiveness. Amen. John chapter 8, there was a lady caught in adultery and all these Pharisees were trying to, to stone her for her acts of adultery. And Jesus offers her forgiveness and to go on and sin no more. Don't, just don't do it anymore. And you're, and you're forgiven. Amen. So yes, there is, is forgiveness in this. But God, again, intended for marriage to be until death do us part. Amen. That's what we're saying here. Is he not saying that? I mean, it's as clear as a bell to me. And if you want to write me a letter, you need to address it to God, not to me. This is what the Bible says. I didn't write the letter. I'm just delivering. Point number three. So you, that shows you the design of marriage. Until death do his part. The difficulty still intended to be until death do his part. And finally, I want to show you the dilemma of marriage. The dilemma. Because now the disciples, it says in verse 10, <laughs> the disciples hear this, and it's new to them. They're sitting there thinking, what in the world is he saying? One woman? Our entire life? Are you serious, Jesus? Are you telling us that we need to stay with the same person until we die? That's what's going on in their mind. They're thinking, that's impossible. Does he really expect us to stay with the same person until we die? I think it's how it's the culture today. That if some of you may be here, that you hear this, you think, that's impossible. Do you know my wife? Do you know my ex-wife? That's impossible. Do I have to put up with him forever? I'm sure Steph says that one. <laughs> no matter what? There's no out. It is death or fornication. What in the world is he saying? This is outrageous, Jesus. So the disciples say to him, you see that? They're thinking, There's, we can't do that. That's too, I love this, too high a standard for marriage. That's God's standard for marriage. And our culture today thinks that's too high. That's asking too much. So the disciples look at him and they say this. Typical men. Well, if that's the case, look at it. If the case of a man be so with his wife, then we won't even get married. We can't be expected to stay with somebody for our whole life, so we'll just stay single for the rest of our lives. We'll be single people. It's best to not marry at all. If you, if you get in and can't get out, then don't get in at all. And I think that's the mantra of our day, is it not? What, what's the old saying? Single and ready to mingle? People love to just, just uh, no commitment at all. It's like men especially are allergic to commitment. Just stay single for the rest of our lives. But that, that's what they're asking for. Well, just stay single if you want to be married forever. No! We just won't get married. And I think they totally missed the point here. Lifelong commitment is not the reason to avoid marriage. Lifelong commitment is a reason to get married. Amen. I think, and just, just bear with me here, I think lifelong commitment is the greatest blessing of marriage. 
<laughs> but there are times when both of us, it's just tough. It's hard. Because of sin, it is. But we don't leave each other during the hard times. We love. That's love. That you love each other during the hard times. And when you love each other during the hard times, you learn more about each other in the hard times. And your love grows closer from the hard times that makes the good times even better. Man. I like that. Me and Steph being up here on the mountaintop, I, and I, I haven't asked her lately, but I think we're there now. She made my coffee this morning. I think we're doing okay. I changed the diaper this morning. I think I'm doing okay. But we've been down here. We've been in the middle. Down here, it's hard. But you're always reminding yourselves so that we fly. So Jesus turns around and he says, he said to them, no, no, boys. <laughs> you're missing the point here, guys. Verse 11, all men cannot receive the same. And what that means is everybody can't handle being single. Most people are made to be married. Most people ought to be looking to get married. Most people, I'm going to say that again, ought to be looking to get married. I thought about it having everybody bow their head and close their eyes and say, who here wants to get married? Give an invitation. Because everybody should be looking to get married. Shouldn't be wanting to be single. Look what he says. All men can't do this. Singleness is a gift that God gives. See that? Same thing whom it is given. The gift of singleness. There's some people that can handle being single. And there's a lot of people that can't handle being single. So who can handle being single? Watch this. Here's three types of people who can handle being single. And everybody else should get married. You can disagree with me on what this says, but he gives us three types of people who can handle being single, and everybody else should get married. This is a different kind of preaching. Man. Watch what he says in verse 12. For there are some, we'll use the word eunuchs here for single. There are some eunuchs which were born that way from their mother's womb. So there's category number one. They're born to be single. They have some sort of defect that they they, they can't. Uh, they have no sexual desire for the opposite sex. So they're, they're, they're born that way. Something happened to them from their, from their mother's womb where they have, don't have that desire. So it's not there. It's not in them. That's one who can handle singleness. Number two, what's this? From their mother's womb is one. There's some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men. So there's number two. This is uh, those who were castrated in that time. You had certain men that were supposed to keep a watch over a house full of women. So to keep that man in line, they would castrate him. You guys love this sermon. I can see your faces. <laughs> Never heard this in a sermon. Verse by verse, expository preaching. You'll get to it. Man. So you have category number one, born that way. You were born a eunuch. Something was wrong with you. Number two, they made you that way. It, they, they, they castrated you. Number three, you're a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. You're single for God's sake. That you look at your life and you say, it would be more, I have more freedom to do what God wants me to do if I stay single. Paul was like that. We think he was married prior to getting saved, but after saved, he stayed single. And he was able to go and do mission work and do everything he needed, go anywhere at any time. He was able to be in prison and not have any, he didn't take care of a wife, he didn't have kids he had to take care of. He was a free man to go and do whatever he wanted to do for God, not whatever he wanted to do for himself. That's the difference between a lot of people who want to stay single today. You know, I'm going to be single so I can go out and live and sow my wild oats. I'm going to be single for myself. No, no, no. Third category, single for God. So that I can live for Him. I have freedom to do whatever God wants me to do and go wherever God wants me to go. I have a little bit of a restriction on me right now. I can't just pack up and go to the jungles and preach the gospel. Because God's given me a responsibility for seven and five kids. If I was single, pack up and go. Let's go to the jungles and preach. So He says there's some people who can do that who's given themselves totally over to serving God. 
There's three categories of people who are gifted with singleness. I'm going to go through again. Born to be single, forced to be single, dedicated to being single. Now, if you're not in one of those three categories, I love this. If you're not born to be single, forced to be single, or dedicated to be single, then you need to be getting married. Right? Am I bringing the application of this? Man, that's what's going on here. You need to get married. I'm saying don't rush into it, but you need to desire it, and you need to pray for it. And if you are married, you need to love it. Amen. And then he says here, and I'll close with this. This is interesting, son. I can see your face if you go to the hmm. Is that right? My Bible is in black and red. Black's the question and the red's the answer. Jesus is saying that I don't think we have a hard time understanding what he says. I think we have a hard time accepting what he says. Because all the what he says at the end. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. I don't think he's talking about singleness there. I think he's talking about the teaching of the whole, the whole passage. I don't think there's a lot of people that's willing to accept what he's taught about marriage and divorce and singleness. I don't think if I was to go into a public school and to teach this same exact passage in an auditorium full of teenagers and to stand up and teach on marriage, divorce, and singleness, most of the teenagers in that auditorium would reject that. If I was going to a college campus today and to preach what Jesus said about marriage, divorce, and singleness, do you think I'd get a standing ovation at the end of it? They looked at me like I was a fool. Is that what you think? To death do we part? And the only way out is, is to fornication? And if we're single, would he be looking for marriage? Well, then that sounds so old-fashioned. You're, you're not with the times. We can't accept that. We have divorce on demand today because people won't accept what God says in his word. Public school, colleges, go on TV, preach this stuff, you'd be rejected. A sermon like this, it might be rejected in most churches today. I understand that and appreciate it. It could be rejected in this church today. If somebody sitting out there saying, I don't believe what that says. I don't believe what Josh says. Take it up with what Jesus says. Because this is what he says. And you say, well, what about this? And what about that? What about in this situation or in that situation? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, I don't have time to go there now. I've got three minutes left. There he gives you, Paul does, a detailed list of what is. Jesus doesn't give us all the what is here. Paul does in 1 Corinthians 7. Go read. But from here... Jesus said, not everybody's going to accept this. Not everybody likes what God says. Not everybody likes God's design. But here in the church, we should fully accept what he says. Amen. Why? Because the Bible is our authority. Amen. Where it speaks, the argument is over. On all matters, from marriage to divorce to singleness to everything in between, where God speaks, the argument is over. We believe what God says. So what we need to do is not just believe it, but now we need to live it. I think we should all be on our knees this, this morning asking God to help us to live this out. That in our marriages today, we should be praying, God, make our marriage stronger. Make our marriage better. Bring us together where the world is trying to rip us apart. I've made that my foundational prayer for Western Baptist Church since day one, ten years ago. God give us strong marriages in this church. Strong marriages build strong churches. Strong churches are the foundation for a strong nation. So you say, this is, this is, why are you preaching this stuff? This is exactly what our nation needs today. Strong, biblical marriages. And 
not only for those here now that are married, but for my children sitting in this room here this morning. I've got four that are sitting here listening to me right now. I've got teenagers in here, we've got young kids in here, and you need to hear this because the world's telling you the exact opposite of this. We live in a culture, and I'm down five seconds left. We live in a culture that they send them to school, and what they do is they date, dump, date, dump, date. You guys get a picture. And that leads to a, a marriage culture that's date, dump, date, or marry, dump, marry, dump, marry. Our kids are getting a picture of, a wrong idea of, what marriage, divorce, and singleness really is. Yeah. So our kids need to hear this today. Man. It needs to be taught to all of our children. And for my four or five kids, I, the fifth one, I'm, I'm not worried about her right now. She's got a long way to go before she starts thinking about that. But for Gracie Bell sitting right here, from every single day, I give her a daughter to Yes. One day it would be daddy standing here. Grace is not standing here. Yeah. And I don't know who this would be. And I'm going to have to give her away to him. And he's going to look at her and he's going to say, You have pledged my house of faith. Let nothing but death part you with me. And God's going to tie that knot. And I pray every day that it's a godly man. Yeah. Take care of my daughter. And then one day it'll be him and Kate. My boys swear up and down whenever we marry them. <laughs> they say they're going to have just him two in the house by themselves playing video games for the rest of the life. <laughs> and I tell them every day I said the same thing until Stephanie Mall. Video game single life just wasn't cutting it anymore. And I turned that PlayStation off and I pursued her. And I sought after her and I called her. And she finally relented. <laughs> and God glued us together. But one day my boys, I know they will, they'll find their little girl. And they're going to be standing up here and it's my job to teach them boys. Love your wife. Yeah. Amen. As Christ has loved his church. And gave himself for her. That's love. Don't you domineer over him. Love him. Amen. Provide for him. Protect him. And that's my message to the kids today. And the parents, teach your kids these, these things. Damn. Teach them this. Let them know what the Bible says, not what the world says about marriage and divorce and singleness. We need these things. The church has overlooked these things for long enough. We need to teach them. And finally, I am three minutes old. Finally. In those vows that I give when I'm performing a wedding, I always add this. Always. Always. You guys have been with me as I perform your wedding and I perform your wedding. I always add this. I always look at it and I say marriage involves one of life's greatest commitments. The life's greatest commitment is the commitment you make to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. And I look at each one of them as they're standing up in front of a crowd. And I've asked this question to them before I get them up here. <laughs> it, would be, it would be bad to answer in the opposite direction. And I look at the bride and I say, have you, at some point in your life, committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And she looks in front of everybody and she says, yes, ma'am. And I look at him and I say, have you, at some point in your life, committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And he says, yes. And I say, that's what I say, at this point, because you made life's greatest commitment, you are now ready to commit your lives to one another. And we begin the battle. Now I'm going to look at you. I know we'll probably have a room full of believers here today. But have you at some point in your life committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? It is the greatest commitment in life. And I urge you today, if you have not, 
You're sitting here thinking you're a child. You sound too young to even hear about marriage and singleness and divorce. You're not too young to hear about what Jesus did for you on the cross. Yeah. And how if you believe in him and put your full faith and trust in him, then he will forgive your sins and he will save your soul. Yes. And he'll do it today. Yes. So I ask you that, have you, now I don't know who you are sitting here today, we can fill in that blank and just go around the room. Have you at some point in your life, 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 and it'd be great if we could go around to, to almost 100 people here today and just say, have you? Have you? Have you? Have you? Have you? But your answer must be, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Have you, at some point in your life, committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if, it, and, and if not, do it today. Man. Do it now. I urge, I plead, please do it today. I've had people in my office, because I always ask that question. Before I get them up here, I ask that question in my office. Have you? And the then you, and get this, there was one time that I looked at and said, you? And the guy said, yeah. I looked at the girl and said, you? And she said, no. And I thought, oh, no, I can't marry. So if I can't say yes up here, I can't put them together. So I gave her the gospel. Right then, right there, in my office. I said, will you now believe in Christ? She said, yes, I will. That's God. In that moment, she asked Christ to save her. Will you do that today? Will you ask Christ to save your soul today? It's so simple. That lady done it in my office. I said, let's bow our heads. She said, I don't know what to say. I said, okay. I don't want my words to become your words, but if you mean what these words say, I believe Jesus is saved. Don't just repeat after me for not for, for, for no, it's just to do it. So you can get married. <laughs> Minion. She bowed her head and I said, Say this. God, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah. She said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I said, I said, God, I know you sent your son to die for my sin. She said, God, I know you sent your son to die for my sin. I said, Ask God to forgive me. She said, God, forgive me. Yeah. I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in him. You can do that today. Yes. Anybody in here, I don't care if you're this little, or big, or old, or young, anybody. He'll save you. That's right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for our time in your word today. I know it was different. I know that. But I think it's worthwhile for us to study these things. And I know that there's many in our world, many even in this church, that have failed in their marriages, been divorced. God, I want them to know that God forgives them. God will forgive them. And they can move on from those things. But help them understand that. I don't want them to walk out of here thinking they're failures. I want them to be forgiven and to burden with and to move on and know the, the peace of Christ. God, help the ones who have had failed marriages. Bless them. I believe you love them, forgive them. I believe there's a future for them. And God, for those of us who are married, I pray that you give us strong marriages. Biblical marriages. That you would hold us together when the world wants to rip us apart. For those of us who are single, never been married. I pray to God for those. And there's some kids in here. They're going to grow up when you get married. I pray that you give them godly spouses. They would have the same mind, the same heart, the same, same spirit. And God, if there's anybody in here who's lost, an unbeliever, never put their full faith and trust in you, never day to the day, that they ask Christ to forgive them and to save them.